I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today, live. I am live today, and I'm in short sleeves. Uh, it's December, but in Texas, it's supposed to be 81 degrees today, which is just crazy. So I'm wearing short sleeves. Well, my wife uh, is from Florida, and recently, a couple weeks ago, we, we kind of had a, a cold front, right, for Texas. And um, I got up, and I, I was getting ready to leave the house, and she goes, you need a coat? It's cold outside. And I was like, oh, I do. So I ran and grabbed a coat, and I put it on. I'm sweating by the time I'm halfway to work because it's like, 60 degrees and sunny but my wife being from florida she's like oh my gosh it's cold outside and i'm like (laughs) it's a matter of perspective is it not because literally i saw somebody last week here in texas uh in this big like coat with a fur thing and i was like man if you put this weather in minnesota they're in shorts and a t-shirt right perspective how we see things changes everything and, and that's true in the, in the natural somewhat and in the world, but it is so true when it comes to spiritual things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I'm glad to have Pastor Alan Wright back on the program. He's the lead pastor of Rinalda Church in North Carolina and four campuses. Uh, and he has a new book out called Seeing as Jesus Sees. What does that look like? How do we get there? Well, we appreciate you guys being a part of the conversation today, or at least watching if you're watching in the replay. If you are watching live, the chat is open. We welcome your your comments. Uh, Pastor Allen, great to have you back on Life Today Live. Oh, boy, it's so good to be with you. I always love talking with you, and I'm really thankful to to uh, to be with you. And we've got a pretty nice day today in North Carolina. All right. Is, is, is it, is it coat weather? Is it in the 60s, so you have to wear a coat? Coat in the morning, <laughs> the morning. 62 degrees um, in the afternoon, which could be good golf weather. Oh. And, uh, but I'm like you. I was like, when I visit Florida in the winter, I try to get down there at least once, you know, or we'll go to a theme park or something, and it'll drop into the 60s, and they got parkas on. And we're in our short, like, this is the nicest day we've had all winter. Yeah. Well, I say, and even the fact that you say it could be a good golf day. I mean, see, I would never, I would never have thought that because i mean i haven't played golf in years um and and on a day that's pretty i'm thinking hey i could do some yard work i might go for a bike ride again it's where you're coming from as to what you see in any situation so walk us through a little bit of kind of where you're going in this latest book let let me let me open with a story that opens the book because it 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 just it, it opens up this conversation Imagine a true story, a businessman after a a hard day. He goes, gets on the subway. He wants to unfurl his paper, relax a little bit on the train ride. But then another man gets on. He's got some rambunctious boys. And they're bouncing into people, grabbing at newspapers, bumping around, being unruly. And the businessman is just being bothered by this. You know, I mean, it's like the, the more that the more he thinks about it, the more bothered he gets. And we can all identify with that, right? So in our minds, we think we know what's going on. And I can imagine what he's thinking. I've thought the same thoughts. Has the problem with America today. People don't discipline their kids. People are, you know, what, blah, blah, blah. And the more he thinks about it, the more he stews over it, he finally says, I just got to say something to this father. 
And so he finally says, sir, excuse me, can't you see that your boys are bothering everybody? Don't you think you should do something about that? And then the man, as if emerging from a fog, as if waking up, says, uh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Boys, calm down. Calm down. He said, I'm not thinking straight. He said, we, we, we just left the hospital. Their mother, my wife, died a couple hours ago, and we're not thinking. Boys, calm down. Calm down. And, well, so businessman, and it, who was Stephen Covey, wrote the famous book about seven habits, yeah. said sure. that in an instant, everything changed. Yep. So, and, and what, when, 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 when all of a sudden the businessman says, uh, no, they're not bothering me. What can I do for you? Here's the thing about it. Mm -hmm. Randy, he meant it mm. he, when he, he wasn't just saying, and now that's the thing I ought to do. He actually felt compassion and patience. So in one instant, I mean, literally like that, seeing the truth of the situation, seeing with new eyes and his frustration became kindness his impatience became uh love he he really was transformed mm -hmm. and i'm interested in that kind of transformation to me that's gospel transformation that is gospel transformation because it's based on revelation and if that can happen just in an ordinary natural event of our lives how much more so could god change us simply by enabling us to see as he sees. And so that's why I started, I started praying this prayer about four years ago, just throughout the day, Jesus, how do you see this? It, it, I think it's far better than what would Jesus do, which is to me, like saying, okay, I know Jesus would be more patient. So let me try to be more patient. The problem in trying harder to be good is it does not empower us to be good. That's the problem we're trying to live by the law. Mm. So I'm looking for those simple spiritual practices, like this little breath prayer, short enough for a breath, but deep enough to change everything. And this has been doing that for me. Uh, I think God loves the prayer. I, I think he came to be light. He promised we wouldn't stumble in the darkness. He wants us to have a share of the mind of Christ. And Paul prays like this, open the eyes of our hearts that we would be enlightened. So this is something God's he came to do open the eyes of the blind. So I'm just starting to just pause and ask him. And it's really become a beautiful new spiritual practice in my life. How has that changed the way you see others and yourself? So, I, and, and I divide the book into parts where we talk about seeing ourselves as Jesus does, seeing others and seeing the world. Cause I think it's important in all those realms. And you know, I would say, well, let me just start with how I see myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's like when you write a book, you want to put so much in there and then you end up having to choose a few chapters on this, few chapters on that. And I chose the first place to put something in there about faith. I think for a long time in my Christian life, I looked at those other people that I thought had a lot of faith. And I thought, yeah, that's why God doesn't, you know, do more through me or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's changed in me, and I was not terribly long ago preaching on um, Peter walking on water and then sinking. You know, I've preached on it a bunch. We've heard a lot of sermons on that, and uh, usually the sermons go something like this. You know, Peter, 
well-meaning but faithless Peter, capricious, you know, sinking down because he looks at the wind and the waves. And then Jesus says, why do you have such little faith? Tisk tisk, shame on you, Peter, don't have a faith. <laughs> and then the message usually goes, we need to have more faith. We need to quit being so fearful of the wind and the waves. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. All, all these things that we, we say, well, let's take a fresh look at this story. And in the first place, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to look at this story and all these stories in, in the book. Like, what if I were to look at these stories through Jesus's eyes? Like, I'm not just trying to learn about Jesus or principles that he teaches. I'm trying to look with him in the pages of scripture training myself in a sense to look more and see more as he does. So how, how's Jesus see Peter in this? And he does say, um, Oh, 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 you have little faith. He said, but a Charles Spurgeon sermon rocked my world and delighted my soul. When I saw how he preached on this about little faith one in Greek is one word, little faith one. And, and a lot of scholars think, and I agree, I think it was more like a pet term that Jesus had for his disciples. Mm -hmm. Jesus was, didn't shame his disciples. He had some harsh words for the Pharisees, mm -hmm. but he wasn't into shaming them. He was building them up. So I don't think he would put a label on them that was kind of a curse. I think it's more like when I was a kid, I played all the time with my brother's friends. You know, they were always older and bigger. And so I became known in the, in the neighborhood as Little Al. And so... I never looked on it as something that's like little Al. I bumped into a guy I hadn't seen in 20 years at, 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 from old neighborhood. He said, little Al, you know, <laughs> the term of derision. And, 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 and so what if Jesus says little faith, one? but, but notice this Spurgeon said, if he says um, you have little faith, he's saying you do have some faith yeah. and God can do a lot with a little bit of faith. Spurgeon said, I'd rather have a lot of faith than a little faith, but I'd rather have a little faith than just presumption. He said, yeah, I really have faith. And that's just something I, 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 it's been a big change in me. It's like, I don't obsess so much about, do I have great faith? Listen, Peter's walked on water, maybe just two or three steps, but nobody else in human history has. Right. And I'm kind of like, God can carry you a long way with that. So that's one of the things that's changed. The lens through which I see, instead of going around, oh, I don't have enough faith or anything, Jesus looks at a little faith and goes, I can do a lot with a little bit of faith. I, you know, I, I see myself, uh, I think, through the lens of grace now, Randy, and I yeah. used to see myself more through the lens of shame. Yeah. So it's really, really important how we see ourselves. If it lines up with how Jesus sees us, he, he sees a potential uh, that he can bless and make flourish that I think we don't see. So we need to see that. And I, you know, I hear, I hear you, and I think you're so right. I have a friend of mine who is, you know, pretty hardcore um, Pentecostal, and and in some of the uh, language of your health is a reflection of your level of faith kind of camp. Uh, and and he went through a crisis of faith when uh, someone in his family who was a strong woman of faith uh, had cancer and died from the cancer. And that, that presents a problem when your theology is, is based on that. Um, cause they, some in the family basically said, well, she just, she lost faith and that's why she died, you know? And it was real, real problem. And that's why I speak out against some of that, that ideology, because I asked my friend exactly what you said. I said, how much 
faith does Jesus say we need? And he kind of looked at me and I said, dude, mustard seed's not that much. Jesus can do so much with so little when we give it to him. You know, and that's the beauty of it. It's not our, we don't get the glory for it. You know, we don't get to say, oh, I had so much faith that I kicked this, I kicked cancer, you know. It's like, no, I mean, it just, the, the, we're, I think it's a lie of religion in the sense, in the negative sense, but I think the, the devil, that we have to be the ones when really we have to be, we have to get out of the way. I mean, surrender is probably one of the biggest words in scripture, even bigger than, I mean, faith is required to surrender, right? But so much, so much of this workspace stuff, um, it just doesn't work, man. It fails every time. And God can do so much with so little if we'll just let him and get out of the way and give him the glory. One of the things that I, I, I discover when I look through Jesus's eyes in the stories of scripture that I included in the book is kind of first you go, what? But it's absolutely true. He first place, Jesus calls his own spirit, the helper. Mm-hmm. And he said, I came, son of man came to serve not to be served. And I think we've just been so drilled into us and the way I saw myself, like I'm God's little helper, you know, and I even had like, I remember early in my Christian life, the parachurch organization I was in, it kind of a tell story about how God had a big plan that he would, you know, he would send a savior, but then he would entrust it to a few disciples and they had to tell the whole world. And if we don't tell, you know, by, and the angel said, God, what if they don't, what if they don't tell others and God says, there is no other plan, you know? And it's like the whole weight of the whole deal is like on us, right? right, right. <laughs> but then you come to a story and look at, look at Peter again through Jesus's eyes. And, 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 and Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet. And Peter is like, don't no, you'll never wash me. You, that's what a servant does. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me, which is inheritance language. And that, and, and so Peter's like, well, then wash all of me. And and I, I've, it's been a, this another paradigm shift for me. It's like when, when our son Bennett was little and uh, I, I'm not much of a handyman, but I was doing, I was doing, at least I could do this. I was replacing some boards on the back deck, you know, and he's like two and he's out there. Well, I got some saws going and some stuff. He doesn't need to be around. And, but he so wants to help. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so finally I cut the saw off, unplugged it went and got his little plastic hammer, pre-drilled some little holes for him, let him just hammer in a couple of things, you know. And 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 he's like, he thinks he's helping me. Well, God lets us work with him. <laughs> right. You know, right. we, 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 he doesn't he doesn't need us. What what we need is we we need to let Jesus serve us. And that's a that's a big paradigm shift, I think. Like let let God be the one who's helping you. Yes. He's like, Peter, if you can't let me wash your feet, how are you going to let me die on a cross for you? How are you going to let me give you my own spirit? I've got so much I want to do in your life. And so unless unless you see yourself as the recipient of God's grace and you see yourself through his eyes as one that he wants to pour his life into, then, then we're forever, in a sense, we're, we're putting a blockade up over our hearts saying, no, I got to be, I got to be working for you. Mm-hmm. It, Jesus reverses all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different perspective to carry through your life. It is. 
And when you when you shift that perspective, it does shift a lot. I have to ask you about some, something else, but I want to show people a couple things. This is the book we're kind of talking around, Seeing as Jesus Sees by Pastor Alan Wright. You can pick that up wherever you get books. And this is his website, which has the book, PastorAllen.org. So just a couple of resources if you want to follow up on this conversation. Uh, but I have to I have to ask you about this, if I can shift the conversation in a little bit different direction. We touched on eschatology before uh, I went live here, right? And I, I don't want to. <laughs> I want to drag this out for the next hour because I easily could. <laughs> but I, uh, here, here's part. Of what was irritating me with my own theology was that it didn't seem consistent with God's nature, specifically when it comes to ideas of judgment and destroying people, right? And I'm, and I know you can justify it in Old Testament language and Old Testament realities. But I'm looking at this post-Christ, right? If Jesus, if Jesus paid the price so we don't have to die, right? If, if he took the curses so we don't have to be cursed, those, those types of things. If John 3.17 is as true as John 3.16 and that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If it's God's will that none should perish. I had a problem, I realized, and it stemmed straight out of my left-behind theology that I grew up with, late great planet Earth kind of stuff which was I was waiting for the time when God would come and destroy his enemies, his enemies being people that I knew were wrong. They would be the homosexuals. They would be the, the Muslims. They would be all these others, these other groups that were outside of my circle of Christianity. And it wasn't overt. I, wasn't never, I was never one of those you know, street preachers telling everybody they were going to hell kind of thing. Um, but I had this, 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 I was given to, I was handed this ideology that, that God's going to just destroy all these people eventually, and it's going to happen, and it'll be a good day when it does. And when I reread some scriptures in context and went, I don't think that's what it's saying. And I, I, I didn't know there was any other way to look at it. What happened, though, was I quit looking at people as targets of God's wrath and started looking at them, the sinners, as targets of God's redemption. And yeah. I got to tell you, that has changed everything. It changes the way I look at the news, the way I look at my neighbors, the way I treat people. How does seeing people, unsaved people, godless people, bad people, evil people, as Jesus sees them, how, how does that change when you have his perspective? Well, in the first place, it would not only change our lives, it would change Christendom and it would change the world. Um, and I think, has there, has there been a, any time in our lifetime, it's been more important to say, how does Jesus see the lost world? How does he see this broken world? How does he see all this? And as I, as I ask him, and as I go through the scripture and I went through the scripture, I just want to look, okay, how does he, how does he see how did he see the world that he was in? You know, because we, we talk about how bad and how perverse and how how godless our culture around us in America has become, you know, and it and 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 things have changed. And it is it is it is it is, it is a lot. It's a lot of bad, you know, and I care a lot about that. Right. And I'm, I'm like anybody. I can start stewing over it. And I got times I got just I just got to put the news down and just, you know, walk away. I'm, I'm to be honest. But how, what about Jesus? I mean, the world he was in, they worshiped the emperor as if he were God. Mm -hmm. Pornography was so 
rampant. I mean, like, have you ever been to Pompeii and seen the first century Roman household just preserved? And it's just pornography on the walls. In Ephesus, you can go today and see, still etched in the sidewalk, the instructions to get to the brothel. It was just so open. It was in Roman culture. Men would take boys regularly, uh, underage, 12-year-old boys, and it was not even really frowned on. They had a common practice of exposing infant, especially infant girls. You didn't want a baby, just expose it to the, to the elements. I mean, so it was horrible, right? I mean, it was horrible. And so I would expect going through the Gospels that Jesus would be really mad about all of that. But what's interesting was he was mad at religious, the religiosity. He got mad about that, turned over some tables. But the other recorded instances, when he looked, he was sad. Hmm. And we see at least in two instances where he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a mother hen her chicks. How he looks and says, they seem like sheep without a shepherd, mm. harassed and helpless. I'm talking about how he saw the worst sinners in the world. Yeah, the ones who wanted to kill him. Yeah, <laughs> the people that wanted to kill him, the people that endorsed godlessness, people who were in every way running contrary to everything that Jesus stood for. He said, they're, they're like sheep. Now, again, understand, he's, he's a God man. He's God. So he sees this accurately perfectly and he goes they 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 and then and then when he forgives he says they they don't know what they're doing so jesus weeps over a lot of the things that make us mad why is that and i think that what he sees uh, is real and maybe randy we hate the feeling of grief so much that we we run from that and we mask it with our anger. You know, we mask it with God's going to get those people. And we mask our fears that way. And, and Jesus just was never like that. He was just never, he was never like that. He was, he was, even though he's God and he could change everything, he had called a legion of angels down. He was, he was full of this compassion that led his mission and he kept that compassion in front of him because of the way he was seeing people. Mm -hmm. So what I keep what I keep saying to my people is, listen, we got to quit getting mad at people that don't know Jesus for acting as if they don't know Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't. Right. You, you can't get mad at a sheep that's wandering aimlessly and is afraid, but has no shepherd. That was the whole point of that. Mm. They have to have a shepherd, mm. right? And he's like, so he felt this compassion. I, I, many years ago, I was taken uh, by a biblical counselor, Larry Crabb's definition of what makes us mad. What's the source of our anger? And, and without going through the whole depth of it, he, he says there's a big difference between a desire and a goal. And, and this has been really instructive to me. A desire is something that might be noble. You want it, but you can't control it. It's just something you wish were the case. But a goal is something you can do something about, right? So I could say, I, I I desire to be healthy. Well, that's a good prayer to pray, but I have some goals. I'm going to exercise X number of times a week. I'm going to eat better foods, whatever. Those are goals you can do something about. And Crab said, 
that what we do is we often confuse our desires for goals. Desires, you can't make it happen. You can just pray about it. Goals, you can do something about. But if you get those two things confused and someone blocks what you've turned into a goal, Mm -hmm. it'll make you mad, right? So uh, maybe a wife says, I wish my husband were more attentive and emotionally available to me. Well, that's a good desire. But as soon as you say, that's my goal, I'm going to make him that, right? Now it elicits a controlling behavior and anger when it doesn't happen. Um, and I think, Randy, looking at the world today, I've had to admit, and the more I ask Jesus for his eyes, that I, I feel like I stand on the hillside and weep and say, that's sad. And 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 here's the good thing about it. if you're willing to be sad about something rather than just be mad, rather than masking grief with our anger, there's a blessing for those that mourn, and there's comfort of the Holy Spirit, mm. and there's fellowship with Jesus himself. I don't think we get fellowship with Jesus when we're being in a rage about something that he wept over and still weeps over. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think when we're when we're raging against the sinner that he loves— we're not experiencing the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But if I can let myself see as he does and go, oh, that person's a sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. And you see with his eyes, then you love and you see for what it is. And it it changes you. Yeah. It's not accepting the sinful behavior. Right. Change you inwardly. I think that's how Jesus sees this broken world. Yeah, I, I do. I do, too. And it's interesting that you admit- Anger is a secondary emotion, a psychologist will tell you. Um, and the primaries, the biggest two primaries that are behind that anger are fear and grief or sadness, right? And w- once you understand that, it makes sense of a lot of things. You also mentioned this idea of a, a wicked and perverse generation. Jesus only ascribed that to the religious leaders of the time. And yet we know that he desired for them to come to him as well you know um but i did you ever wonder why jesus was so angry with the religious leaders um because i mean in the middle of it you can't say it's because they rejected him because some of them you know like maybe nicodemus didn't and and they were checking him out so there, there was the dynamic was still fluid there uh, many of them would obviously reject him, um, but do you, do you have any theories? Because I don't actually, I have some, maybe yeah. some ideas. Well, I, yeah, and and same thing. Like, look what made Paul mad, right? So if you're full enough of the Holy Spirit, like Paul, and you're writing Galatians, it's the only thing Paul gets mad about. I mean, Paul's being imprisoned by evil people. Right. Right. Why isn't he ranting and raving about the, the unjust? Government government (laughs) never does but when they when 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 there's some people that claim to be christian that tell other christians that in order to be really spiritual you uh, you need to practice circumcision and go back to the law he's furious yeah you know yeah and it's the same spirit this is obviously this is in the the holy spirit of jesus christ this is this is what makes him mad so what is that it's the blockade of grace Uh, he can't stand. And when it's done under the guise of godliness in the name of religion, it's a kind of bullying that he can't stand. uh, A religious bully and 
because Jesus is so for us, right? And it goes back to John 3, 17. When a religion that is trying to pretend as though it is what Jesus, what God himself would espouse, is in a sense placing condemnation on people, that awakened anger within him. But for the people who, who don't know him, the sheep without a shepherd, he, he, he just wasn't angry at them. Just he, compassion. His compassion. He was just, he was sad. I mean, how did he feel when the rich young ruler walked away from him? Yeah, you know, sorry. I mean, didn't rant at him. He just, just, he just sat. And, and I think Randy, you know, part of this talking about grief, grief is letting go of something, right? And instead of trying to control it. And I think that's real, real important in today's world. Oh, yeah. Ask Jesus, how do you see this? The more I start accepting the things I can't control, mm. And praying about those things, I don't don't stop praying about noble desires, but but not living out of the frustration that I can't control it, you know. Right. And I think a lot of what we see in a lot of the public rhetoric that we have now amongst Christians, a lot of it is like we can control this if we just get more vocal and we just get louder and we just get angrier. Right. Not it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. It's not the spirit of Jesus. Huh. It does. It changes everything. Uh, and, and so here's the last question for you because I didn't let you go. But so if someone's like, okay, that's interesting. How do I, how do I see things as Jesus sees? Because, I mean, it, 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 there's a little bit of a contradiction because you can't, you can't just do it on your own. But yet we're telling people you need to do this. So how do you do it? Exactly. Well, you know, the beautiful thing about this, what I'm hoping to introduce to some people as a, as a new spiritual practice that I've been to play. It's just a, you can start today. You know? I mean, you don't have to learn much more about this, except just start, just, just ask them, Jesus, how do you see this? Mm. If you're frustrated, pause. If you're confused, pause. If you just need more insights, pause. If you're not sure you're seeing something correct, pause. So it's just a little pause. And, and, and I like to say in Jesus, how do you see this? It's a biblical thing to direct our prayer life to Jesus. And, but what it does is it, it reminds me, I'm saying to Christ, I really do want to see this the way you do. Maybe my frustration's blinding me right now. There's a part of my flesh that doesn't want to see it the way you do. But I, I'm saying, I, I'm, I'm turning my attention away from me trying to control myself mm-hmm. and be better. And I'm saying, I really want your eyes on this. So there's a moment of connection, and that's mystical, that's spiritual, but it's it's powerful. It's a thing that it's happened. So you allow yourself to, and I think the language that we might use from the the, the counseling word is you're attuning and attaching. Let yourself be connected to Christ. It's sort of like those disciples, you know, on Emmaus Road. They are just so despondent on this is the greatest day in history. And I love what I love what happens. Jesus doesn't immediately reveal himself. He just said the text says they stood still looking sad. And he just he was just willing to be with them in their sadness for a little bit. In fact, he spent most of the day with them. You know, just it's a it's it's a moment in time. And I don't I don't know. Then I would just say what you do is you you look again. You know, look again. You can do this all throughout the day. Um, it's sort of like also go to the scriptures 
and and go through a study of the scriptures and read them, but read with Jesus's eyes in mind. Like I want to, I want to, I want to stand next to him. Mm-hmm. Like take a walk. Maybe this is what it means to walk with Jesus. It's not you tagging along behind, but walking because when you do, you're you're looking where he's looking. So it's it's like that. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like my wife and I a few years ago we were walking down the beach. She's great at finding shark's teeth, little tiny black specks. Just find them. Just she'll just find them. And they're, they're on the beach. I never find them. I can't see them. I don't they, you just find them. My daughter finds them. We're walking down. She's found some shark's teeth. I can't find any. And then we go up and we see some people and they're out pointing, you know, out of the ocean. So we stop. We said, what do you see? And they said, oh, there's some dolphins right there. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool to see dolphins. And uh, so we stop. So where are they? Now we're not looking at the people. We're looking with them. We're shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. They point. We look where they're pointing. And they say, see right over that third wave right there out that, oh, I see them too. Now I'm seeing what they're seeing and we enjoy it with them. So there's a way that we can think about our spiritual life that way. Come beside Jesus in the scripture and in life and start looking looking with him. Eh, you'll see things, uh, it'll, 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 it'll change you. And also you'll see some beauty you hadn't seen before. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's. I like that you said that because that that is, I've experienced that in 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 a lot of different ways, and and that's, it's crazy because two people can look at the same thing and see something completely different. It really yeah. is a matter of perspective, and once we get Jesus' perspective, it really does change. I think everything. everything. It changes everything. <laughs> you you can you can be you know another illustration of this like. I remember some years ago, we went, my wife and I, we were young. We went on a whirlwind tour of Europe on a budget. And so um, it was before we even had kids. And so we, we didn't spend money on the tour guides. You know, we didn't spend money. <laughs> but you realize you go to some archaeological site. I just feel like I'm looking at rocks. I mean, <laughs> right. I, you know, and yet, yet there's this other group of people that got a tour guide. And they're mesmerized. They're nodding their heads. Oh, that's but you know. And so we started cheating. We started just... Nudging. <laughs> we start, yeah, we, we just got I've done the same up. thing. I've done the same Listen thing. to the tour guide, and then we're like, whoa, I didn't know that, you know? So let Jesus be your tour guide. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. he sees treasures that we don't see. Um, and and I, I, and he wants to sh- he, he, he's God, he does, and we're not. He doesn't show us everything. Right. But there's so much more he wants to show us. Yeah, yeah. Why not ask him? Yeah. Why not ask him? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's an ongoing practice. It's not something that you master in one day and then you're there. It, you have to do it every day, which is why I, I like what Pastor Allen's saying about pause, take the breath, ask for breath, ask for help. You know, uh, that's that's Jesus says, send the Holy Spirit to be our helper to see as he sees. So, all right, great. I got to let you go. Thank you so much. Wonderful conversation. I, I, I love it. And it's, it's life-changing and it's refreshing and it brings hope and joy and peace in in a crazy world and we need that thank you sir we need it thank you so much god bless appreciate all you guys out there watching um share this with somebody it'll bless them uh and if you really want to follow up with this pick up that book right there seeing as jesus sees by pastor alan wright wherever you get books and available at pastorallen.org appreciate you guys being here have a good weekend I'll see you next week here on Life Today Live.